Well, as we start again our time in Sunday morning, we are in Acts chapter 2. We are rediscovering the principles in which Calvary Chapel Cardinal was built upon. Uh, general principles that are found here in our text in Acts chapter 2. And as a result, we find ourselves in our second portion, and that is the portion concerning evangelism. Evangelism, the sharing of the gospel with those who do not know the Lord. We believe here at Calvary Chapel that it's each and every one of our personal responsibilities to be prepared and ready for the opportunities that God may provide for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who may ask or those in whom he may bring across your path and desire to use you as the instrument in which to verbally communicate the gospel to them. And we found that from the very beginning that evangelism played a large role within our church. Because we believe that each and every person is a living epistle, and the word epistle means letter. Meaning you're a living letter that goes into your world. It goes into your place of employment. It goes into your home where your family is who may not know the Lord. It, you know, you are that person that goes to those places, those coffee shops and, and so forth, uh, and those restaurants, and you are a living epistle, a living letter in which people can read to see and to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in some cases, you may be the only exposure or interaction that they have concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we allow God to use us to share the gospel with others, to see the others, others come to saving faith in Jesus Christ just like you and I have. I'm sure all of us could recite our personal testimonies and remember that person who took such a risk to share the gospel with us in some cases, even though they may uh, jeopardize the relationship with us, even though we may have rejected uh, the gospel and what he was saying and no longer talk to that friend any longer, but they took a risk with us. They, they said it's too important not to say anything. We have to say something. And as a living epistle, understand that not only is what you say important, but also what you do. And we as Christians cannot be people who say, you know, uh, do what I say and not what I do. You know, our example must coincide with what we say from verbally from our mouth. Otherwise, people are going to negate what we say. And the reason they're going to negate what we say is because right now in our culture, in our time here in 2020, and that's really what we're looking at. We're looking at the principles of Acts 2 in the year 2020. Let us understand that each and every person in the world today has 10,000 voices yelling at them constantly with an overwhelming amount of information. The internet alone is a stream of information that is available to anyone at any time so easily through the handheld devices in which we carry. And of course, when we have questions about subjects, we go to Google, where a hundred years ago, in many of those cases, they would go to God. And as a result, today we are overwhelmed with information, and we're given all of this information, and now the problem becomes not a lack of information, but the ability to discern what of the information is true and what is false. 
And I will tell you, it has been my experience as a pastor that many are making huge life decisions based upon information that they have personally selected from the internet that coincides with what they want to do. Really? You know, they shop for an answer. Rather than listening to maybe what they need to hear, they shop for an answer and get what they want to hear. And then they make a life decision thinking that this is what I needed to hear to proceed forward in whatever action that I'm about to endeavor in. So when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's almost like Satan has used what I call the white noise tactic. And all of these other voices are screaming at people. Do this, believe this, live like this, etc. And here's the gospel amongst it all, weaving its way through all of this distortion. And so it's very difficult. And then, of course, we have the, uh, the bastion of theological knowledge called YouTube, you know, and you can find any opinion about God that you want to find on that channel. It's amazing to me. You know, you do not have to be a well-informed person to start a YouTube channel, do you? Really, it's a couple clicks and an email address and so forth. And you can start broadcasting anything that you want to broadcast. And people need to understand that others are listening to the information that you are putting forward. It's very difficult today because of all the white noise that is around the individual to cut through with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, evangelism over the last 20 years has changed from pronouncing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in light of the bad news. The bad news is such an important uh, portion of the discussion, but is often negated today. The gospel used to be the good news in light of the bad news, and that bad news was the fact that we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But over the last 20 years, something's happened in Christianity where we have decided to, instead of sharing the bad news, let's just focus on all of the good news. And what has happened is that now evangelism has come to the point of saying to the person, if you accept Jesus, this is all that he's going to do for you. And a lot of times in evangelistic efforts, uh, unintentionally or intentionally, people have a tendency to overcommit what God hasn't said that he was going to do. We know, right, that becoming a Christian doesn't make your life easier. It often makes it more complex, doesn't it? You find yourself quickly going against the current of the worldview around you. People start asking, why aren't you fun anymore, you know? People say, you know, I used to love hanging out with you, but now, you know, it's kind of, well, you're kind of a downer. I've actually had people say that to me, you know. Yeah, these are the same people sitting at the same bar 40 years after they graduated from high school, you know. Haven't really moved on in life at all. But that being said, we live in a world today where Christians have been scrutinized so incredibly that... Many people have found many reasons to write off God. And today, one of the growing uh, surges in America are those who call themselves the nuns, N-O-N-E, who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. 
And unfortunately, the church has contributed to that from the scandals that have uh, rocked the church over the last several years, etc. We have given many people, as Nathan said to David, reasons to blaspheme God. But let us understand that this does not negate our responsibility in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world who does not know him. And God will still use us in this endeavor, and he still has those who are his that are out there that are waiting for those divine appointments with people just like you. Let us be clear that there are people that you can reach that I'll never be able to reach. And there may be people I speak to that you'll never have that opportunity to speak to. And God uses us uniquely and differently in this evangelistic endeavor. And let us understand that we may just be one in the process. We may be the ones who plant the seeds, and others may be the ones who come and water that seeds, and it's always God who gives the harvest. But let me ask you a question. And you don't have to answer or raise your hands or confess openly unless you feel very convicted to do so because lately the Lord has been judging, pounding on the roof. Uh, When was the last time you just talked to somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you just had a conversation with somebody, a friend, co-worker, acquaintance of some sort, family member, who doesn't know the Lord and you just talk to them about Jesus? and your testimony, and your story, and listen to their story, and just started planting those seeds or watering the seeds that had already been planted in their life, etc. Let me follow up that question by asking a second, do you look for opportunities each and every day of your life for that moment, that unique moment? Because I find that so many are consumed today with their own personal lives that they are no longer looking for those opportunities of evangelism. They're not looking for those times where you know, God has uniquely set up an opportunity for them to talk to someone else. So do you look for those opportunities? And when they come, do you know how to proceed from that point? You say, well, that's part of the problem, Pastor. That's, I'm looking for those opportunities, but I don't know how to proceed. And, you know, shoot up a quick prayer and say, Lord, give me the words to say. And you don't have to do that out loud because then they'll think you're nuts, but just say, you know, Lord, quickly. And he answers so quickly. Or do you find yourself, let me ask a third question, that you're a person that wants to now avoid those conversations. Oh, those are too controversial. I don't, I don't like conflict. I don't want to get into that and, and the objections and I don't want to make anyone mad and so forth. It's easier just to keep the peace. But let me ask you a question. If you have friends and family members and you have that attitude in your heart of avoiding those conversations, can you really say that you love those people? If you saw someone walking off the edge of a cliff, what would you do to try to keep them from falling off? How far would you go? You know, often we're so concerned about preserving the relationship that we're unwilling to really take what's into consideration in the overall and the long-term consequence for their decision. 
Which leads me to a question that I have to ask. Do we still believe that one apart from Jesus Christ will die in an eternity apart from Him that was created for the devil and His angels? Do we still believe that? Because if we believe that, I have to believe that that's a motivator to speak to those in whom we love, right? And some of you may be in those evangelistic relationships where you've been evangelizing for so long, they're kind of tuning you out. And yes, that may be a time now to take a step back, but you don't cease your evangelism. What do you mean? If I'm taking a step back, am I not ceasing it? No, you begin to pray for them. That's exactly what happened with my parents. As I was witnessing to my parents, there were times that they just began to tune me out. And when that occurred, I just took a step back and began to pray until God opened the door again for me to engage with them. Greg Laurie just recently shared that a recent study done amongst Christians shows that only 8% of Christians today are sharing their faith in some kind of consistent manner. Looking for those opportunities, meeting those opportunities, greeting those opportunities, etc. And let me tell you something, folks. As much as we'd like to say, well, yes, I evangelize every single day. I post pictures of Jesus on Facebook. You know, clouds that look like angels and so forth. No, come on, guys. Facebook has become a tabloid. Do we not understand that? I'm sorry, I can't even scroll through Facebook without saying, are you kidding me? I might as well go get better information from the uh, National Enquirer. You know? Facebook has become ridiculous. And when people start throwing things out there, you know, and and some of the most bizarre things that I see Christians throw out there, and I'm going to be honest with you about something, because this this recently happened. Uh, Last year it happened. When I say recent, I'm old now, so anything in the last five years is recent. But I'm going to say something to you. This really troubled me. You cannot... But this big thing about God and the 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 necessary uh, uh, for salvation through Christ and, you know, and so forth and talk about, you know, his righteousness and so forth. And then in the very next post, you post something that is really questionable. You know, this person, they posted this thing about, you know, God and so forth and the necessity of going to church and so forth. And the very next thing they posted is, I can't wait to go home and have a glass of wine and read Games of Thrones and watch Games of Thrones. Okay? The world looks at that and says, hypocrite. Okay? We've got to understand that what we do matters. We can't just say that we believe in Jesus Christ. We need to live according to His righteousness. Right? And... Paul said that that's only our reasonable service to watch him, I'm sorry, to worship him, excuse me, with our whole bodies as living sacrifices. We are not going to reach the world by becoming like the world. It's not going to happen. That is a dead end, a stemic practice. It doesn't work. It's bankrupt. The world doesn't need someone like them. The world needs someone greater than them to bring them out of the world. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. So we as Christians need to evaluate what we post and how we post it. And what we're bragging about and so forth. Because the world sees it. And people are using any reason they can find to negate anything you say about God. 
So when it comes to our evangelistic endeavors, number one, how we begin the process. As Peter began his by answering a question that they asked, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Pentecost has taken place. The Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples. The disciples have gone on top of the rooftop where they were gathered and began to speak in other languages. Jerusalem, because it was Pentecost, was filled with people at that time from all over the known world. And the different areas and regions of the worlds are listed there for us in verses 8 through 11. But notice with me here in verse 12. As they're hearing these things in their own language from people who should not be able to speak their own language. These people were amazed and perplexed. And this perplexed state caused them to say to one another, what does this mean? I find that much of my evangelistic endeavors today are stemmed from a question from the world. And to truly know what the world is asking, we must be as Christians listening to the questions and what the world is saying to us. Just because the question may be offensive to us, just because the question is in opposition to a theological position we hold to, or an understanding of God we hold dearly to, Let them ask the question. The question is the first step in in obtaining an answer. This is why we as Christians need to listen more rather than just shouting at everybody's face. Why? Because they have 10,000 other voices that are shouting in in the same manner. I find that my most fruitful conversations come when I simply listen to what the person is asking. Now, I think amongst Christians, this is starting to become a problem. Because I, as a pastor, am often asked after church a question about the Bible or about the current events or something. And they'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, I have a question about this. I said, okay, I'll try to answer. And then they ask me the question. And then I say, oh, okay. And I just begin to answer. And then they continue on talking. And then they... Just keep talking. And I wait, and I'm just like, okay, I, I, I have an answer for your question. And then they keep talking. And they don't seem very sincere about getting an answer to the question. They just wanted someone to listen to them. And that's okay. But don't start out with saying, I have a question. Just say, listen, can I just talk at you and you not say anything in return? Oh, yeah, sure. You know. Okay. That's fine. At least you're up front with me. We need to be listening to what the world has to say. Because what they're struggling with and what they're dealing with is probably not the same of what we were struggling with and dealing with 30 years ago. Oh, sin and temptation is the same to all men. We understand that. But the circumstances and the cultural ideas today are much different today than they were 20 years ago. And so if you're looking for a beginning point in your evangelistic endeavors, why don't you start by simply listening as you're engaging the world to see what questions they're asking you. And then like Peter, we need to respond as he did with biblical answers. And if someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, well, don't fabricate one. 
Or don't run to your phone and look up Christian answer to this and then pick the very first one that is given to you because it may be faulty in its reply. Say to them, that's a good question. Let me find out for you. And you know what? This gives you the ability to follow up with them again and have a second conversation with them. Because I will tell you that in my experience today, the times of evangelism where you just share the gospel one time and people come to an understanding of saving faith and they need the Lord uh, in a one-time experience and shot, well, those aren't very common anymore. There's, that's what I call short-term evangelism. It's the one-off, you know, like this particular case was in the Bible. Today I find that people want to have a relationship with you in some way, if possible. And they want to know that you're authentic in your Christianity. They want to know that you truly believe what you say you believe. Well, how can they tell that from my life? Well, just as Jesus said they could. The way you live is going to indicate if you truly believe what you say you believe. Now, I'm not talking about perfection because no one's perfect other than Jesus, but I'm talking about consistency. I'm talking about one that after 20 years of their life, if they were to look at their sanctification in a graph form, they would see a steady trend up, maybe a little dip here and there, but the trend overall is going up. And when we do fail, let's do what the world seems not to want to do anymore, and that is apologize. Hey, I made a mistake, excuse me. I spoke out of turn, I was a little angry. You know, people will understand that. And your humility in that moment can be a witness in and of itself. But as we have these long-term relationships with people, leave the doors open. In our condo building, which I was mentioning earlier, uh, we have many conversations, Dean and I, that are continual with members of the community in our condo building that have gone out now 20 years. 20 years. But when we answer the question, let us give a biblical answer. Let us share with them from God's Word. You can write it out for them. You can give it on a little note card. You can even maybe even give them a Bible and say, listen, I've marked out a few places that answered the question that you have. It's amazing. Maybe they'll start reading other places if you give them a Bible. And so when Peter came and heard the questions that were being asked. And amongst the questions, know, uh, see with me here in verse 13, that others mocked. And amongst them, you're going to get sincere questions amongst the world, and you're going to get others who are going to mock you. It's just going to happen. But Peter took the opportunity and biblically explained to them as he went all the way from verses 14 to 21, giving a biblical explanation for what had just occurred. A prophecy in the Old Testament book of Joel is now being fulfilled, partially. But after you give a biblical explanation, in our evangelistic endeavors, there is one component that we can never, ever, ever leave out. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And the very next thing that Peter does is that after giving this biblical explanation of these speaking in tongues, these foreign tongues, and how it is a fulfillment of what God had said in the book of Joel, and again, of course, this is cookie cutter for those people. It, you know, these were Jewish people and this was a context for them. 
Now, of course, I'm placing it in a context of 2020. The principle remains, but the context has changed a little bit. The question may not be the same. The answers won't be the same. But eventually, after answering their biblical question, you have to come to the understanding and the reasoning of who the person of Jesus Christ is. He's the centerpiece of the entire Bible. And whatever their objections with God and their personal experiences with God and Christians and the church, eventually it's going to come down to this. What have you done with Jesus? Notice what he says here in verse 22. Very interesting. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the uh, definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He then goes on and gives the example of David, this verse that often was equated to be David, uh, fulfilled in the person of David. Peter now absolutely shows and uh, clearly indicates that David is still in the grave, but Jesus has been released, and this psalm is referring to Jesus in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one on his descendants on his throne forever, uh, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We must come to the person of Jesus in our conversation. And often when people level objections to the Church of America and the scandals and objections to the organization of the church and so forth, I often, I often bring them to an understanding that the church is flawed and failed in many ways, but the person of Jesus Christ is still one that one must intellectually and practically contend with. Who is Jesus Christ? The old adage that C.S. Lewis framed was beautiful when he said he's one of three. He's either the lunatic or he's a liar or he's the Lord himself. Who is Jesus? We cannot talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ without talking about Jesus Christ. And notice that what Peter did there in the text, he talked about his crucifixion and he talked about his resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians, says, in 15, 1 Corinthians 15 states clearly, that the gospel concerns the death of Jesus Christ according to the scripture, his being buried, and the resurrection according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, the good news. That on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. 
validating and confirming exactly who he said he was. Now notice what Peter did in this way. Again, a brilliant move of the Holy Spirit. Remember, this is the same Peter who said, I'm going fishing. This is the same Peter who said, you know, Lord, you can't go to Jerusalem. You know, this is the same Peter that Jesus said, Satan, get ye behind me. Now all of a sudden he's this great orator, right? No, it's the Spirit of God working through him as the Spirit of God will work through you also. But notice what Peter did. He shared with them the bad news first. This Jesus in whom you crucified. You know. Can you imagine? This Jesus, who was God, you killed him. Whoops. Here's the bad news. Before God, in your sin, you are as guilty as sin before him. And God confirmed that Jesus was exactly who he said he was by raising him up on the third day. Now what are you going to do? The bad news that needs to be shared before the gospel is the idea that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now many today will argue with their sinfulness. I don't find many that who rejected any longer. I usually found that amongst people who were religious, who had a superficial relationship with God through a religious tradition rather than through the gospel, rather than through Jesus Christ. Those people were often very difficult. My mom was one of them. She never could see her sin as God saw it. And as a result, she didn't therefore see the necessity of a Savior. In fact, she already thought that she was. And when I began to continuously articulate and show her that we have all fallen short, including her, that was a very offensive thing for her. Many today... uh, Uh, most today I would say they recognize that they're sinful, but here's what they'll do to you. I'm not nearly as bad as that person, right? You know, I'm not nearly as bad as a Jacob. I'm not nearly as bad as Mark. I'm not, I mean, I'm a lot better than Mark, but, um, but what they do in their hopes of comparison, get off the hook. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to you know, own up to their own failures before God because then that would put them in a precarious position. And so many do that today. And I still get the Adolf Hitlers and the John Wayne Gacy's and the other axe murderers. I'm not nearly as bad as those people. I'm, thank God, I'm a little relieved right now to know that I'm not sitting before Adolf Hitler. You know. But before God, we've all fallen, Right? And until we understand that and allow the Holy Spirit to have His perfect work of conviction upon our hearts, we are not going to reach out and seek a Savior. You know, I've said this often in my messages, but I use it because it's so apropos. You know, I continuously get sales calls on my home line at home. You know, we still have one of those phones that's plugged into the wall, and it still has a rotary dial. No, I'm kidding. And the only phone calls I ever get on this phone are political phone calls and sales calls. I've talked to so many robots that, you know, I now have personal relationship with Joe, Pastor Joe, you know, well, he's a unique fellow. Um, He actually, when he he welcomes sales calls and he starts witnessing to them after they try to sell him something, he tries to come back and say, well, now let me talk to you about Jesus. Um, you know, I've often encouraged him to get a hobby, uh, but um, that being said, he's going he's gonna, to, 
Yeah, I'm going to see my pink slip on my desk when I get back there. Um, but I have often gotten phone calls for the most inappropriate things. I want to sell you, a, a, you know, aluminum siding. I live in a condo. I have no need for aluminum siding. And so often we approach our evangelism that way and they don't know why they need Jesus. So then people try to, you know, bolster what Jesus can provide in their life. Well, he can give you joy and he can give you peace and he can give you love. And all of that's true, but it's in the wrong context, isn't it? I'm not coming to Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, I want love. I want joy. I want peace. I want all of this. But never talk about my sin. You see what I'm saying? Remember, before the resurrection, we had to go through the crucifixion, right? And the crucifixion is where our sin was dealt with. And that was a pretty horrific occasion, wasn't it? And this is why I can't diminish sin. I I can't lessen its impact because uh, of what my Savior did to pay for that sin. Just watch the passion of the Christ and you see the bloody mess that Jesus became on our behalf to pay for the sins of our lives. And so now I'm going to lessen that even though it took that to overcome them? No, I'm not. Sin is serious before God. And so we must lead with the bad news before the good news can be really appreciated. And that's what Peter did. He led with the bad news. And that led to allowing the Spirit to bring the conviction into the hearts of these people. Look with me in verse 36. As Peter continues, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They knew that they were wrong before God. And that's still true and necessary today. We need to understand that we as sinners, apart from Christ, are wrong before God. Does that mean God doesn't love us? Yes, He loves the whole world and demonstrated that through the giving of His Son that whomsoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The sin was serious. And though you and I weren't physically there at that time and we were not the ones that were standing in the crowd when Pilate came out and said, which of these two shall I release? And none of us were present when, we, when the crowd began to chant Barabbas. None of us were there. And it would be easy to say, well, you know, they were guilty of crucifying the Lord. Because they asked for Barabbas and they allowed Pilate to sentence him and to bring him to death. But we know that it wasn't Pilate's sentence. It wasn't the Romans who captured Jesus. It wasn't the nails that were used that held him to that cross. It was the love for you and I and the necessity of the atonement for sin that held Jesus to that cross. So though you and I were not physically there, the Bible does tell us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so just as they were guilty, so are we of the crucifixion of Christ, are we not? Because it's our sins that he paid for. 
God knew what was going to happen before it happened. God knew that you and I would exist in 2020 and that we would be gathered here to get today and that in and through Him we would be saved. But before we could even appreciate or appropriate that, He needed to die on our behalf. And notice, they were cut to the heart. Their conviction, the Spirit working in conjunction with the message just as it does when you and I proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, that conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment came about in the hearts of these people and their hearts were cut. They were convicted. And then out of that conviction, they cried to Peter and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles who were with him, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God has called to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. You and I can only be the message bearer. We can answer their questions as best we can. We can share the gospel as best we can. We can deal with and address every intellectual challenge that they may have to Christianity. We may be intellectual and articulate ourselves to back them into a corner where they cannot deny the gospel at all because they have no reason in which to do so. And some feel that that's sufficient. But it doesn't matter how... Well, let me say it this way. We need to just be faithful to what God has called us to because ultimately He is the one that opens the eyes and the hearts of the individuals. As long as I'm faithful to share the good news, as long as I'm faithful to water in those opportunities where the good news has already been shared and I'm just the next one in line, let us understand that the individual coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, that is a work of God and the Holy Spirit, I cannot I cannot manufacture that. I cannot make that happen. That's something that God has to do. Right? It started with one question. What does this all mean? Peter gave an explanation. He brought in Jesus. He told them the bad news, then the good news. And that led to the Spirit of God convicting them that led to the second question. What must we do to be saved? And Jesus answered that question. This is why... In our evangelistic endeavors, prayer must be integrated and woven into the entire process. We must be continuously praying for those individuals that we care deeply about and would like to see come to saving faith. And though God has appointed these people from the foundations of the earth, notice what Peter says by accompanying it with the free will of the individual where he says, save yourself from this perverse generation. There are many Christians today 
who unfortunately have taken the position of a, a, fatal, a finalistic position, a fatalistic position, if I may, who says, I don't really need to witness and to evangelize. Those who are going to get saved are going to get saved regardless. I'm so glad Paul didn't have that attitude, right? And he was willing to suffer all the things that he did to bring the gospel into the Gentile world. And nobody believed in the election more than God did, did or more than Paul did, did he? The election and the free will of the predestination and the free will of man are two uh, individual aspects that the Bible clearly teaches repeatedly throughout the New Testament. Well, how do they reconcile? How do they work? Well, one has said, I don't believe you need to reconcile those who are friends. Others have said, you know, simply, I don't know. But there's a lot of things that I don't know how God does, right? I don't know how God created the whole world by, by speaking it into existence. I don't know how he raised people from the dead. I don't understand how he uh, does things miraculously like he does. And one of the greatest miracles is an individual coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But is God asking me to understand each and every aspect of what he does? Or is he asking me to be faithful to what he's called me to do and then rejoice in that in which he has done? I love D.L. Moody when he said, Lord, save the elect and elect some more. I am perfectly comfortable at this stage in my life and in my ministry to allow God to be God. I'm just going to be faithful to what God has called me to be and to do. This week, I ask that you would begin to pray for these opportunities. Maybe in your next time of devotion, just write down the name of four or five people that you really, really would love to see come to Saving Faith in Jesus Christ and just begin to pray over them every single day. Asking God for the opportunities to share the gospel with them. And understand that some of these uh, evangelistic trips are going to be short-term mission trips and other ones are going to be long-term missions trips. Some may be instantaneous and others may seem like they're never ever going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But I can't write anybody off, can you? As I prayed for my mom, I have to admit, I don't think I prayed, as some would say, in faith, because I had very severe doubts that my mom would ever come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But I prayed out of obedience, even though Mentally, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And when she came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, God showed me that no one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. Just the other day, my dad celebrated his 91st birthday. And as time has gone on, and as now he is 91, with all of the medical issues that he had over the years, he's knows that he's, he's uh, there by grace, I think. And my dad's having a very difficult time mentally now. He's remembering things and not remembering things very well. And when I saw him the other day, he, my sister had told me that he's not reading books like he once used to, which is really sad because my dad was an avid reader. But when I went to go see him, I thought something was very interesting, that the one book next to him that he did have was the Bible. And I said, Lord, you're so good. You're so faithful. 
Is it because you desire all men to be saved? Is it because you desire that, you know, people would repent and rather than perish? You're so good, Lord. How many opportunities has he afforded my father? It's incredible. We need to be an evangelistic church in our day, in our age, more now than ever. And in the course of this year, we're going to help equip you to do so. Because we're going to start addressing some of the questions that the world is asking today. And they're not the same questions that they were asking 20, 30 years ago. They're asking new questions today. Not new in the sense of historically new, but new to our culture. And there are answers to those questions that we have from the Bible. Let us understand that we are one voice among the 10,000. And it would appear logistically that we are just one in a sea of faces as we are one cysts in a stadium of people and the individual that we're trying to reach is is standing there in in center court or at the 50-yard line and we're one voice amongst all of the 60,000 people who are there And they're all yelling at the same time towards that one person in the center of the field and giving them ideas and what they should do and how they should live and where they should go. And we feel like we are just one person in their life shouting to them the gospel and you can be very discouraged by that illustration. But understand this. Though you may be just that one person amongst the 60,000, none of the other 59,999 have the same message that you do. None of the 59,999 have the Holy Spirit working in conjunction with what you're saying. Don't discredit our God. Don't minimize Him in this process. Let God be God. Because you have that message that can save that person's life. Because that's truly what hangs in the balance. It's our lives, our eternal lives. The 80 or 90 years that this world may afford us is nothing in the scheme of the eternity that waits before us. So when you're discouraged, understand who God is. And He will see that one voice cut through it all. And the Spirit of God is not restrained by the other 59,000 that are there, but He's working actively in conjunction with the Gospel. Do not be intimidated by this world, for He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world.